This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. Welcome, everybody, to episode 143 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here, as usual, with my dear remote, little remote friend today, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. You and Jane are little tiny squares on my screen, but small in size, but big in stature and personality. We're recording this episode in isolation, where we are briefly confined to our homes because there was a little coronavirus scare at Croc Media uh, last week. Everybody has been tested and we're just waiting on the last results before hopefully we can go back to normal life, Corrie. Happily, you and I and Miss Jane, who worked very briefly together in the Croc Media studio about a week ago, have all come back negative, which is great news. But um, it's meant that I haven't been able to go in and do my um, regular show on Channel 9, um, Footy Classified, on Wednesday night. And um, you haven't been doing book deliveries, but we've still got plenty to talk about. Yeah, actually, Caro, it's been, dare I say, quite a nice enforced two days at home. <laughs> yeah, I know no, that's I know. a terrible thing. And, you know, when you know that you haven't been in contact with the person and it's highly, highly unlikely that you have the virus, but you do have to stay at home after being tested... I must say, it's been uh, it's been a lovely change of pace because you and I, of course, have worked so furiously during the last six months in peculiar ways because of lockdown and so on. But it has been actually quite nice. It has. I spent all of yesterday in the garden, Jane. You would have been proud of me, Miss Jane. And, um, oh, the Brussels sprouts are sprouting. Because I couldn't go to the shops, I ate lettuce and snow peas and broccoli from my garden as a salad for my dinner. A very nice friend dropped off coffee and blueberries and a little piece of slice. And really, good book, few phone calls to make, bit of work. What's not to love? <laughs> I mean, I'll probably it would be nice to um, see my husband fairly soon. But um, anyway, all that will happen. Corrie, um, the actual test itself is interesting, isn't it? I had mine um, in Balnaring. I think you had yours in Rosebud. It wasn't nearly as bad as some of the reports I'd heard, but apparently it can differ from place to place. It's interesting, isn't it? Look, we were... Um, obviously, this is an official testing centre uh, where I went. It wasn't busy. The nurses and health staff were all terrific. Lots of forms and forms to fill in and questions, and you're in and out pretty quickly. It's funny, Caro... Um, as I said to my daughter, the, the eldest one who's had babies, I said, it's so funny, those of us who've had childbirth, we just kind of go, oh, it was nothing. But then you hear other people saying, oh, it was really painful, they stick this thing up your nose, honey, have a baby. <laughs> well, I think they used to stick it further up your nose in the early days. That must be it. Did you have it stuck down your throat as well? Yes, nose and throat, nose and throat. Oh, it was So nothing. it was very interesting. I mean, I'm oh, Miss Jane, stop making faces, you wimp. Really and truly. We can always um, min minimise her, her face on the screen, Caro, so we could actually get rid of Miss Jane because we need her so <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm Caro, sorry for the sound quality on this, but we are doing it remotely, as I said. But everything else is the same, Corrie, including our monthly challenge. Can you please tell me how you're going? 
Yes, so my, my challenge was to take a bit of time for myself, Caro, and you'd be very pleased with me. I have taken time for myself and turned the phone off, Caro. No social wow. media. So uh, I've probably had, in the past seven days, I've probably had four days where I have taken an hour. So a couple of those have been doing yoga with Adrienne. She is on YouTube. And the good thing about Adrienne, as much as I love Maggie at Ocean Beach Yoga, Adrienne, you can pop onto any time, day or night, you know, so I don't have to book a session. And that's been very peaceful. Um, I've gone to the house the last couple of days of putting the reading lamp on at about 5 p.m. and reading a book for half an hour or an hour before the news, uh, dare I say, with a glass of wine. Uh, but that has been very, very peaceful. At 5 also, p.m. Hang on, hang on. Alcohol alert. I thought we had a six <laughs> we had a six o'clock curfew, Corrie. Come I know, on. but it's just been nice to have that first little glass reading my book. And then the other thing I, I never thought I would do this, Carol and Jane. Never, but I bought a jigsaw the other day because I thought that's probably good enforced timeout. I haven't opened it yet. I keep looking at it going, oh, I'm not one of those people, but I'm gonna give it a go. So that yeah, it's working well. What about you? Well, I was going to throw myself into my work, which I've, <laughs> I've got some lovely flowers here in vases. I did an online um, gym class with my gym group, resurrected that relationship yesterday because I realised I had to do some exercise. Um, what else did I do work-wise? You, you were going to work very, very hard, harder than you ever had. Well, it looks to me like you've been off the screen. Well, No, you, no. You Look, I tell, you, I tell you one thing that's happened and... Um, we don't have to talk about it for too long, but because I took the decision not to go up north and go to Queensland and, you know, barely two days after um, everyone flew up, including our fellow podcaster Damien Barrett, of course the um, tish hit the fan and two Richmond footballers were caught outside a strip club where they'd been for an hour and a half. I mean, a kebab store, really, like of all the clichés. Anyway, it's not a joke. And it was quite good as it was... Um, when the AFL made a couple of other poor decisions last week and there were a couple of poor performances, to be able to be outside the tent. I mean, I, I generally am. That's sort of the way I exist. And I'm, although it would be probably even nicer now to be up on the Gold Coast, given that we're confined to our homes, um, it's been... I've been able to... You can still ring people, you can still write columns and everything yeah. else goes absolutely... In fact, it was funny. I'd written this, I felt, very well-crafted piece talking about the foibles and the strengths of Trent Cotchin's captaincy and was about to press send last Friday morning when, of course, oh, I couldn't believe it, Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman-Jones, the story broke about them being charged. Well, they, weren't, they weren't charged. They were arrested. And, um, unfortunately, the column had to be completely rewritten. So I suppose I have, in that sense, thrown myself well, into that, my work. That sounds like you've been working up a storm there. Caro, um we, we have been starting each podcast over the last few months with a check-in on one another as part of our introduction to the update on what's happening in coronavirus. How have you found the past week? And in particular, Sunday's announcement, oh, so badly timed for Father's Day of Dan, Daniel Andrews mapping, you know, mapping the roadmap or outlining the roadmap. I, I have to tell you, girls, I was working in the shop because we had some last-minute Father's Day gifts that needed to be picked up and so on. And I can tell you, at about 10 to 1, not one more sale. It just died. 
No one in the village buying coffee, nothing. It was as though that midday announcement just put a stop to life in Victoria or life in Melbourne as we know it. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I hate this is an appalling admission, but the first thing I said to um, my husband when we were talking about some of the announcements, October 28 for hairdressers? October 28? Are you serious? Are you joking? Well, it was the first thing you and I said when we got together. The first thing we oh. said, I lord the hair. Oh, <laughs> and I look, that is, look, I'm being completely glib. And obviously, people are hurting so badly in terms of small business. But look, it, it was a bit of a pricking of a balloon. Um, the, the fact that we, we can only hold on to Christmas. I noticed, you know, the selectively timed announcement that there'd be a Boxing Day test didn't really lift my spirits all that much, I've got to say. I mean, it's poor um, solace, really. Oh, look, it was, um, you know, the 9 o'clock curfew from 8 o'clock. Well, you know, what's there to do anyway? I mean, it doesn't really make much difference. I do, I was really happy that people who are on their own can now visit other people and have visitors. <laughs> But that's come with its politics as well, Jane, uh, um, Jane and Caro, because I contacted a friend of mine who lives alone and I said, great, now, you know, let's be each other's corona buddy, let's catch up. And she said, well, actually, I am sort of might be doing that with someone else. <laughs> oh, I know. It's like walking politics, think, isn't oh, it? Oh, aren't I, aren't I the first cap off your rank? And she said, well, you have a husband. And, and I thought... Well, it's just weird because even though I have a husband, I'm still allowed to have a corona buddy. So it's very weird. Look, I have to say from the outset, Cara, that old um, oh, that old quote of Christopher Hitchens, you know, who we love, who said, humour is part of the armour plate which protects the human, a human spirit from life's grim realities. I have had to rely on humour and I know we are today and we do acknowledge, you know, the devastation that is occurring around the state not just in terms of people's health, but also their livelihood. But I honestly have to say that I just had so many laughs on Sunday night of the blackest, bleakest kind, you know, the humour coming through. I mean, when when Shetland said, you know, that's the final episode, I, I was watching it with my daughter, Coco. I said, well, that's it. I mean, there's no Vera, there's no Halifax. What's <laughs> Life is not worth living. And I said, you are going to sit here and you're going to watch the first episode of Midsummer Murders with me. And she was... Like that cat in Pepe Le Pew, the cartoon, you know, the cat that's trying to get away, going, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> away, watch Midsummer Night Murders, Midsummer Murders. Oh, look, that we are... Not bad, we, I have to say. Oh, I think I think that's Corona, Corrie. You've always bagged it. I don't mind it. I've actually got... Um, I've become addicted to your line of duty because the other night I thought... Um, no, it was last night. I thought I can't just watch... Um, I'm not going to watch the footy. I'm sick of the footy tonight. It wasn't a game that particularly attracted me. Oh, I'm completely hooked. It's brilliant. Yes. No, um, it reminded me, and we were talking about letdowns. I mean, this is, again, incredibly shallow, but in 2009, Ben Cousins had come to the Richmond Football Club and there were high hopes for Richmond that year. They'd shown a bit of promise in 2008. They were playing Carlton in the MCG in round one and I was told to write a page one piece previewing the game for the age as chief footy writer and I was completely, well, some, Patrick Smith mocked me for this. I described the build-up to the game with Ben Cousins playing for Richmond and the Tiger Army and they were predicting 100,000 people, which did turn up, I think, close to at the MCG. I, I likened it to um, the build-up to Cathy Freeman's race in 2000 at the Olympics. Well, I don't know if you remember what happened, but 
um, went to the MCG. It was all over a quarter time. Ben Cousins had done a hamstring by three-quarter time. The Tigers were absolutely thrashed. My colleague Jake Nile texted me, biggest pricking of a balloon I have ever seen. And it's like when you go to that beautiful year-old country village that you've heard about on a travel and it's overridden with tourists or car parks. And oh, there's, a, there's a McDonald's in ye olde yeah. village. Well, that happened to me and Mum when we went to Jamaica Inn. It was, a, it was like a Zagamis with a car park. <laughs> anyway, um, nothing wrong with Zagamis, but not what we were expecting, you know, on the old um, Cornish moors. No, um, it, was, um, it was a pretty disappointing day. But, you know, I, it is amazing how, um, I, I, to me personally, I was sort of okay. I, I was disappointed about certain things, including being able to meet more than one person. And you're right about the politics. I mean, even walking politics. If you, you can't walk with more than one person. So if you've already been booked up for a walk, it's like when someone asks you for a game of online bridge, there's only one possible partner. It can be a bit hurtful if you don't get in first. However, we will be able to family on family at the end of next week, meet in a park, go for a walk along a beach, maybe sit on a park bench and have a chat, have a picnic, but that's, so, um, assuming, that's assuming you don't have a big family. You know, I mean, I was thinking of the logistics of this with the Ballarat mob. Well, there's four of them, soon to be five. <laughs> but two families can meet. Two families are allowed to meet, can't they? There's a number, there's a quota on the number that you can that you can have together. I will yeah. leave Willow at home for her afternoon sleep. She won't mind. She won't remember. Oh, look, anyway, look, it, yeah, it was disappointing and let's just pray these numbers continue so, to so go down. So for you, Caro, what have been the three biggest letdowns? And again, let's sort of err on the side of the slightly frivolous and funny because there's just so much gloom around. And you and I have you and I have been to the depths of it this week, being tested and being concerned about our colleagues at Croc. But what have, what were sort of the three biggest letdowns that came out of the stage four announcement the other day that it was extended? Oh, well, look, this is completely selfish, but, you know, I love gardening, but lawn mowing is not my forte. I was really looking for... Isn't it funny how a beautiful mowed lawn, and I've got quite a lot of grass around my house, can just lift your spirits, that smell? Knowing that I couldn't have someone to come and pull down a few trees that need pulling down, and um, I tried to get out the saw the other day, but, look, just too tricky, too tricky, and Brendan wouldn't have liked it anyway. Um... Uh, so, so the gardening issue is a bit annoying, but I'm just doing it all myself and I'm not complaining. Really, really disappointed that I can't meet the girls for a glass of wine. I know you turn up your nose at pubs, but it is so much fun meeting people and having a chat. And, look, that's I really, really miss that. All right, and don't grudge that. I just don't like going to the menopause bar and having to perch on a high stool that's really bad for your back. Oh, I love it. I love it. You old pub girl from way back. Probably the other one is um, the family in Sydney. For me, it's family too. I really, really want to see my sister and all of her family, obviously, and my brother, and I can't do that. And um, I'm just, you know, I, I thought if the restrictions had eased a bit more that we'd start talking about borders coming down, but that doesn't sound like it's happening anytime soon. So I'm a bit glum about that. And I miss, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoy my twice-a-week card games and I really want to play them with other people and look at them and hold the cards, but... I don't think that'll be happening for a while either. What about you? Well, obviously, the two pregnant girls in, in my life are huge. My daughter, Checker, and my daughter-in-law, Lib, who are due at one day apart. 
and the photographs and zooming and everything are just not enough anymore. And I, I want to see them. I want to nurture them. I want to hug them. And particularly when it's your own daughter, I mean, lives with her mum, Jen, in the country, so that's fantastic. Um, and that little baby is getting so much country air. But Checker in Ballarat is really feeling it, and she's my baby. And all I want to do is put my arms around her and comfort her and give her a break or do something. So that was a bit of a bummer. I also, Caro, I get this feeling from the rest of the rest of Australia that there's this that they're, they're experiencing some kind of Schadenfreude, that they're kind of loving in a way the difficulties that Victoria is going through, and particularly the messages coming from federal cabinet and the prime minister, and indeed the treasurer, who was a Victorian himself, that this is all kind of Daniel Andrews' fault and this shifting of blame. Regardless of the politics, as I keep saying, and regardless of the stuff-ups that have occurred, at this moment, Victorians need all the emotional support that we can get. And I was really disappointed to be hearing that on a weekend when we were told that stage four was going to continue. That really annoyed me. And then, of course, like you, hair salons. Oh, I mean, that's the biggest letdown, really. Look look at the grey hair. And also, I can't buy a puppy. The prices have gone up again for spoodles. They're $1,000 more than they were a month ago, Caro. Well, people want companionship, Corrie. No, it was fun. The Scott Morrison press conference on Monday was, oh, gee, it was stark, wasn't it? And I thought Paul Bongiorno wrote a really good column about it, talking about, you know, it was, um, it was, a, it was a political finger-pointing exercise and you know, not helpful at all, really. And and hopefully it won't backfire on him. He's clearly under pressure from everyone to get tough on the states and get tough on Victoria. And so he was under pressure to act tough. So he did. But if he mentioned the word New South Wales one more time, honestly, it was like, all right, OK. Yeah, New South exactly. Wales has done a better job than Victoria. It's a different situation, but we get it. I just thought that was, for people's psyche, so horrible. It was and, horrible, um, and it was thoughtless. It was actually really thoughtless. I don't think he thought the emotional consequences of it through because here are we trying so hard all to be good and then to be told by your Prime Minister that, you know, shame Victoria, shame. Now, whether he's meaning the Labor leadership or the people of Victoria generally because we stuffed up the quarantine thing, I don't care. This is not a time to be uh, attributing blame to places. It's just... And also the New South Wales thing, as I said from the very beginning, there but for the grace of God go I. I mean, look at what's happening in London at the moment. There's been this second wave that's just causing Boris Johnson to pull all that hair of his out of his head. Yeah, uh, the second wave. The second wave's all over Europe. Look, I don't think it's a bad thing for the Prime Minister to put pressure on the Premier because we need to have pressure put on us. You know, that's really important. And the Victorian government needs to have pressure put on them. And clearly contact tracing has become the new quarantine, has become the new Ruby Princess. And um, maybe that wasn't... Well, everyone seems to be saying that there were issues with the contact tracing and now it's improving. But I, um, on the one hand, we're being told by the Prime Minister that leaders need to be able to take... The, the leaders need to take Victorians with him. Well, how can he take Victorians with him if the very next day the head of the the, the head of the federal parliament, the head of government, the head of the country comes out and bags him? It was an extraordinary, um, extraordinary. Look, it was a political exercise. I mean, it's a great opportunity for a liberal federal government to turn on a state Labor government, and he had all the um, all the sort of facts on his side, but. Psychologically, gee, it was terrible.
Anyway, Corrie, let's go into more cheery things like food shopping. Yes, okay, Caro. Which so, we're not doing at the moment because we're not allowed to leave the house or the garden. Out of the house. So thank goodness uh, my fridge is full. And my freezer, dare I say, the New York Times had an article this week, uh, Caro, seven ways the pandemic has changed how we shop for food. And it was saying that there's been a lot of um, uh, research happening in the US uh, generated by supermarket the supermarket retail industry, but also government sources as well. And they've discovered for the first time in a generation, Americans are spending more money at the supermarket than at places where someone else makes the food. So in other words, they're going to the supermarket to buy their dinner and cook rather than Macca's or wherever else. Well, so we're not a bad thing. It's a good look. This is a this is an upbeat article. So we've been through phase one, which um, the New York Times called the bomb shelter phase, which is when we buy toilet paper, pasta, bottles of water, that sort of thing. And then we went through the nostalgia phase, which was chocolate, um, sweet biscuits, uh, sourdough, baking sourdough bread, um, soups, that sort of thing. And now um, the American grocery chain Kroger reported a 600% increase in sales of yeast. 600% on the same time last year, and also a huge leap in wine and beer, which is not surprising um, looking at my uh, kitchen cabinet at the moment. But the, the return to the kitchen could actually mean that supermarket shopping changes forever. And the research has shown this. People are doing fewer trips to the supermarket and they're highly more organised with their lists. Because who wants to go every day if you might catch coronavirus? Um, online grocery sales has gone in the States, has gone up in just 12 months from $1.2 billion to $7.2 billion. And I suspect that's being reflected in Australia as well. Number three, orange is the new black. In May, US grocers sold 73% more oranges than they did in 2019. Why, you may ask, immunity. They last a long time in the fruit bowl and they're versatile. They can be turned into, you know, eaten in little pieces. They can be turned into juice, whatever they do. They so, go in, they're very nice in a Negroni, actually. <laughs> oh, I haven't had my Negroni yet. So that's why I haven't sent you the little can you gave me. I haven't had that yet. Um, another thing is supermarkets are redesigning and reconfiguring their spaces. And you and I shop in similar, sometimes the same supermarkets, and you and I have noticed this with our local. Choices are shrinking. Have you noticed that? Yep. That's because consumers have less time to, to spend in the supermarket and choose and do variety. They just want in-out and no more free samples. So no lovely lady standing there with a little cheese platter so you can have your morning tea because, of course, that's a huge health risk. Frozen food sales are up. And the final message, which is really good if you're a local retailer like I am, local is better. So more Americans are shopping locally, but they're also buying from local producers. They're shopping locally, as I said, and local specialty items like olive oils, mueslis and honeys are going through the roof. So Do we really need to hear about how Americans are shopping? I mean, aren't we more interested in how... Do you, or are, you, are you saying it's the same? I'm saying it's the same. Well, look, anecdotally, I haven't seen any Australian reports on this yet, Caro, and I'm sure they're being, um, they're being done. But doesn't all that uh, reflect how you're living at the moment? Don't you find that you're yep. doing it all of that? It is explaining. Really it explains why I can't get my hands on any frozen spinach still. And... Um, there are so many items that just bizarrely, like soy sauce, just disappear for a week. But I also think the novelty of the um, 
making your own focaccia and um, carrot cake is starting to wear off. I think people really jacked up. <laughs> Certainly we know Anna from the op shop. She said that to me. I'm sick of home cooking. But um, it is, I think, I think you're right. I think it will change habits and I think that's a good thing. Although I do love my daily little shop rather than, you know, since the kids started growing up and leaving home, that big twice-a-week supermarket shop. I never enjoyed that. So I'll look forward to going back to the little daily shop. Well, I think you nailed it on, on the head there, Caro, by it, we're eating health, more healthily, healthier and yeah. we're, we're cooking and, and thinking, really thinking about our food rather than just going and getting the takeaway. So I thought that was all really good news. But now on to the bad news, which I call the hubs of the AFL. Honestly, last Friday when your Richmond boys sinned so terribly, why they thought that going to a strip club would be on the agenda, I have no idea. But it seems like Hubland is a bit tumultuous at the moment. Oh, look, it just, it, it was a perfect storm for the AFL because, you know, they'd just announced the grand final. It was the, um, you know, really big moment for Anastasia Palaszczuk and her government. It was a great moment for the AFL. Well, within two days, even commentators who support the AFL were bagging Gillan McLaughlin for making the announcement in front of a golf course, saying that was unthinking. Um, talking about the fact that 400 people had flown into this hub, including, you know, you know Tom Hawkins' au pair, you know, certain journalist partners, you know, Geelong board, James Sutherland, the Geelong board member and his son, well, he was um, exposed in the Sydney media, you know, just Channel in, 9. Just in defence of Tom Hawkins, the au pair is actually going to be looking after all of, she's setting up a kids club for all the... Oh, I, I know all of that. I know all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of all why they're, why they're happening. I'm not bagging it at all, but on paper... It looks pretty ordinary. And um, even a lot of AFL people are saying, heavens to Betsy, these footballers are absolutely useless at looking after their children. We're doing half of it for them. And um, it's amazing how, how, how much resilience they lack. The two Richmond players were, look, there was a birthday drinks at their hub. They got blind. These two blokes went back to their room and kept drinking, um, called an Uber. They just made a series of shocking mistakes. Richmond have had a shocking year off field. Um, I said, you know, a few months ago, Collingwood had a discipline problem. You can't argue that Richmond, despite their good performances, have had too many own goals to not say that they seriously have a discipline problem. They deny they're entitled, but there's a lot of work they're going to have to do to prove themselves now. And it just shows, Corrie, how protected footballers still are, that these players won't have to pay their own fines, although Richmond's trying to insist they pay some of them. That's a big blue going on with the Players' Association. I can't believe you break a deal. There was a deal that they didn't have to pay the fines. Well, they broke a deal, so they should pay, or at least some of it. And um, the fact that, you know, really there's there's now talk. Richmond hasn't ruled out the fact that they might be delisted, but in any other job, you'd be sacked immediately. Mm. Be sacked immediately for doing what they did in any other job. So um, Sydney Stack, obviously an Indigenous player taken by Richmond later than most um People thought in footy he would be taken because of his talent, because he had some issues, um, turning up, not, failing to turn up on time for training back in WA. And then, of course, Callum Coleman-Jones, the Adelaide boy, Scotch College boy from Adelaide, two very, very different backgrounds, both doing the same completely stupid thing and putting their career at risk. But um, it was just, you know, you can imagine how furious the AFL and Richmond was. And, and, the, you know, Anastasia put out a scathing tweet as soon as she heard about it. Um, it was embarrassing for all of them. 
So oh, there you go. It's terrible. And Caro, I was um, <laughs> watching my footy tips yet again go down the toilet thinking for the AFL, if they could pick the perfect grand final, like in terms of which teams would generate the most enthusiasm, uh, what, what do you think that would look like? Oh, well, look, they would love Brisbane to be in the grand final because it's at the Gabba and um, it would be another stepping stone to um, resurrecting the code, which, you know, had three, you know, when Brisbane were winning premierships in the early 2000s, they were so big in Queensland and poor administration and the fact they fell out of the top eight, you know, there was a confluation of events, confluence of events that meant football up there really struggled and the Gold Coast, of course, and all their problems. So Brisbane and Collingwood would be the AFL's dream grand final, but I don't think it will be. I think... Um, Look, I think Geelong will definitely be there. So a big Victorian club, not as big as Collingwood or Richmond, but a big Victorian club like Geelong will obviously be a fantastic result. And um, and Brisbane. And do you think the Tigers, despite all of these uh, disciplinary issues and hub issues, do you think the Tigers could be there? Oh, definitely. They're getting a lot of players back. But... I don't think they've been as in in a few da, a few days. But after we record this, Corrie, which we're playing Geelong, so that's going to say a lot about where both those sides are going. I feel that Geelong have been the better side than Richmond this year, and they're still smarting about losing that preliminary final after they were leading it at halftime against Richmond last year. So um, I think the AFL would love Brisbane to be there, but I'm not sure they'll get there. Port Adelaide are the other one who um, I'm keeping my eye on. Um, people haven't really given them the credit they deserve. So, Port. But that's not a dream grand final. Now, Corrie, enough about all of that. Let's get to our regular segments. You have a crush. I do. And I'd like to thank Red Energy, our sponsors of this podcast, for allowing me to have a crush because I would really like to take this opportunity to say thank you to Casey Briggs for all he's done on the ABC News every night regarding the charts and the data that he gives us about the coronavirus. Do you know Casey Briggs, Carol, can you, and Jane, can you picture him immediately to mind? Okay, sort of think Clark Kent before he, <laughs> he jumps into the phone box, rips off his shirt and becomes Superman. Casey Briggs is an ABC journalist who has been on this one story for six months. The poor lad, he probably he probably didn't expect when he took on Journalism 101 that he was going to end up as the corona man. But each night, he's the one who presents the data and stats on the pandemic on the screen. And he does it yep. with such skill. He never, ever buggers it up. He is brilliant. And in fact, dare I say, your friend Anthony Greencaro should watch out because I reckon at the next election Casey could be there giving Anthony a run for his money. Oh. In a recent, um, in a recent, Corey, don't say that. In a recent Q and A, Anthony's an icon. He's a stalwart. That that, that is a... Casey's snapping at his heels, Caro. Oh, well, Anthony, recent... Anthony will be aware of it then. In a recent interview, Casey was asked about his new celebrity status and were there many Casey groupies out there, and he said. Not that I know of. I've had a couple of friends' parents contact me and pass on messages, but that's about it. But anyway, each each night, as he, it, I mean, we have to remember what is involved in the research here. He doesn't just get up and present the stuff. Eight different states and territories health departments, one federal government health department, 
they're not always singing to the same song sheet. And he, as he said, my role is to provide analysis, not of the response of politicians, but on the indicators of this pandemic. And it's fact-driven and evidence-based. So my hero is Casey Briggs. That is a tough gig. And um, well done you. And watch out Anthony Green. <laughs> that is a bit rough, Corrie. That is a now, bit Carol, rough on poor Carol, Anthony. Continuing our love of uh, red energy, powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, just call 131806 for real Aussie energy. Uh, you have a book because we're going to kick off book, screen and food. I do. And, um, I look, this was such a great page turner. And um, you're telling me it's very difficult to source in Australia, so I don't know where Anna from the Op Shop found this one. Rebecca's Tale by Sally Bowman. It is a revisiting of the Daphne de Moria classic and um, was apparently was given the thumbs up by the de Moria Foundation. Um, they gave her permission to write this book. It's um, the story of Rebecca from four different people. It opens with Colonel Julian, who, of course, was the local magistrate and Max de Winter's great friend who helped investigate Rebecca's death. Then we hear from Terence Gray, or is he? A, a sort of a shadowy figure, a historian, who's come to the area, who's come to Cornwall, to try and find out about Rebecca's death. And he's more than just a sensational reporter, as so many reporters have been, according to the book, trying to dredge up was this murder. Then we have Rebecca herself and a long forgotten diary or version of her life. And then we have Colonel Julian's daughter, Ellie, who is around the same age as Rebecca, I think 30 so, when she died. Corrie, I couldn't put it down. It takes us back. I can feel Daphne turning in her grave over this one. Well, the Demoria people were happy for her to do it. Um, her name is Sally Bowman. It is, you can, it, it's really well written. I mean, you know how we all feel about sequels and why they need to do them, you know, why they did the sequel of Pride and Prejudice, although I did enjoy Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, the Godfather Part Two is a rare, a rare example of a sequel better than the original. Or prequels. Do you remember Wild Sagasso Sea, which was the story? Yes, Jane Eyre. Yeah, Mr Rochester's first wife. Well, look, Sally Bowman wrote a book called Sextet that I remember hearing about, Dark Angel, Destiny. But, look, this is an absolute cracker. You, it was, she wrote it in 2001. I cannot put it... Well, I have put it down now. I've finally finished it. It was so lovely meeting all the characters again. But, Corrie... What was the absolute highlight was going back to Cornwall and that wonderful part of the world. We walked through. Um, we we barely barely scratched the surface, really, of Cornwall last year, but so much of what I'm reading about now resonates. This is sort of written, well, as I say, it's 20 years after the so-called fictional Rebecca's death, um, so it opens in 1951. So it's sort of post-war. England's a bit grim, but Cornwall is as beautiful as ever, Corrie. Well, next week I have a Cornish story for everybody so they can just be fully cornballed out with that one. Um, Caro, um, I have a screen, and just mentioning Mr Rochester, my screen has been on for a while, so perhaps our listeners have already seen it, but I only caught it the other day. And for these lockdown times, it is a must-watch. It's on Stan and it's Jane Eyre. And uh, the... the um, the leads are played by Ruth Wilson, the woman with the most wonderful expressive face and those beautiful lips. She, Jane, yep. she plays Jane Eyre. Toby Stevens plays 
Mr. Rochester, and Francesca Annis, who you remember from uh, wonderful BBC dramas back in the day. She plays Blanche Ingram's mother. So this television series, I can't remember whether it's four or five parts, but it really dissects in the most terrific way the original 38 chapters of the book. There's so much more to Jane Eyre than we have seen in films and so on. This riveting Gothic novel written by Charlotte Bronte in 1847 about the orphaned young woman, Jane Eyre, who takes a job as a governess at Thornfield Hall. And her job is to look after Adele, who is the ward, the little girl who is a ward to Mr. Rochester, charismatic, mysterious owner of the uh, big Gothic pile. And this version on the on Stan explores deeper Jane's past. It looks at the abuse that she suffered in the home of her aunt, who then eventually discarded her and sent her to, they said it was a private school, but it actually ended up being one of those Dickensian type um, orphanages. And then it looks at her uh, life at Thornfield in a much more detailed way. And then, of course, there's the, what I always kind of refer to as the dream sequence, even though it's not. Jane runs away after a terrible tragedy and she ends up at Moore House under the, uh, rescued by clergyman St. John Rivers and his sisters. And there's a lot on that as well. So Jane Eyre has always, over the years, provided great fodder for filmmakers. Poor St. John. I always felt a bit sorry for him. He's a bit... You know, He's played very well by that chap, I can't remember the actor's name, who was in uh, Broadchurch, the father of the boy who was murdered. I can't remember oh, yep. his name. Yep. Um, yes. Plays him really well, actually. But, you know, there are 10 films and five t TV adaptations and two theatre productions of Jane Eyre. This one is a really fine, fine... I, I was riveted for the whole nights that I watched it, although I do have fond memories of the 1943 Orson Welles who was brilliant. And I think from memory it was Joan Fontaine. It was, it was definitely Joan Fontaine. And it was an early um, performance by Elizabeth Taylor, who was her friend in That's, the orphanage, yes. a tragic character. Who dies. Yeah, they, who dies. So anyway, look, it's really good. Jane Eyre on stand, highly recommend. If, if you just want to watch a movie from the 90s, by the way, on Netflix, um, it is, um, there's a movie called Primal Fear that I never saw back in 1996 when it was released, starring Richard Gare and Edward Norton in his first role as an older boy. Laura Linney, Frances McDormand, great cast. Just a really good murder mystery thriller. Um, bit of a twist. Um, just that, that, That's just a, a bit of a recommendation as well. One of those Netflix films that you could actually really throw yourself into. And can I ask Potties for recommendations, please? It's getting a bit thin on the ground in the old Netflix and Stan territory in our house, so looking for some good um, some good fodder there. And, Carol, on to food. I'll just keep going because I have the most wonderful recipe. As you know, I have been cooking out of A Year of Simple Family Food by Julia Bazutal Nishimura. This cookbook, you'll, some of you will remember her first one, Ostro. This cookbook arrived in the shop three weeks ago. It has sold out around Australia. No more stock. It's being reprinted. No more stock due till the middle of October. So can I just say to those who are interested in buying this book, really underdone by the publishers. I'm so cross about that. I can't tell you. But um, give us a call at the bookshop and we will put one aside for you and call you the minute it comes in. But this recipe, which Miss Jane will put on our show notes, is pear, ricotta and pine nut cake. 
I have made it three times. You'll be very pleased to hear that I haven't burnt the top or bugged no, it. No, it's it's beautiful. You gave me this recipe and I made it too. I love it. Really good recipe. This photograph I'm showing you and Jane, and Jane will include the photograph. I won't go into the details of it, but what I love about this book is it's about this um, recipe is that it has uh, ricotta, 200 grams of ricotta in it, um, and the finely grated zest of two lemons, which I think is the real key. And of course, although pears are now kind of past their prime. We always have pears. It's so easy to peel a pear and pop it into something. And they do cook up really beautifully. But it's that whole combo of the pears and the lemon, the vanilla pod and the ricotta. But also, isn't it fantastic having the pine nuts on the top, Caro? Doesn't that just make such a difference to this cake? Oh, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's so Moorish and uh, particularly nice with thick cream. <laughs> well, we, we, served it, we served it with that lovely Barama... Um, the yogurt, yeah, we've done it with, we, in fact, we did it with yogurt the next day. Yeah. Yeah, but I love it because it's not too sweet and it's a really good pudding if you've, um, you know, had uh, had too too much for the main course in the entree and you just want a lighter one. So that's the pear, ricotta and pine nut cake. Uh, Corrie, I'm grumpy today and, um, well, I'm... The other the other letdown is the fact that um, these announcements meant I couldn't um, have a birthday with my mother and my daughter, who both share birthdays, as you know, 60 years apart on September 11. I knew we wouldn't be able to do it on the day, but I thought we could probably do it a few days later. Now we can't. So I'm grumpy about that. But I'm grumpy because Tony Jones, the Channel 9 sportscaster, who's been filling in his footy classified host with this corona issue, um, said that I, I tested positive to coronavirus on the Channel 9 News on Wednesday night. And I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you the calls, the text messages that Brendan received, I received. He corrected it, I think, Gosh, uh, a bit later. Your parents would have gone into a complete tears. Well, they both knew that I'd told them that, you know, my test had come back negative, so that was all right. But, Tony, seriously... You know, get get your facts right. There's a big difference between negative and positive. And it was very annoying. He said the same thing about Matthew Lloyd. And as Matthew said to me, not ideal. Anyway, that made me grumpy. Um, Corrie. Six um, quick questions, Caro. And I want to ask you the first one. Where will you go when the five kilometre limit opens up? Oh, the world opens up, Corrie. Two places. I'm going to go to Bowen Heads and visit my friend Annie. Our friend. Our friend Annie, I'm going to come with you. Okay, well we can both do that. But Are we then I'm gonna... people in a car? No. no, so you we'll have to go separately. But that's all right. We can convoy. And um, further afield, I'm going to go as far as I possibly can to the Victorian border to Malakuta, because as you know, I went there in February, um, very soon after the bushfire devastation. The road had just opened up into Malakuta. I fell in love with it all over again. I've only been there about three times. I am desperate to get back to that beautiful little harbour and sit there and just go for long walks and yep, and feel like I'm a long way away. Um, but further afield, where are you going to go when the state borders open up? Uh, to Byron Bay, where else? My spiritual <laughs> home, the love of my life outside of Victoria, off to Byron Bay, probably with 27,500 other Melbournians. But, look, that's OK. <laughs> um Carol, should Julian Assange be extradited? Look, I still feel really uncomfortable about this. I know there's been bad behaviour in the court case, and I understand that this is not just a clear-cut case of a journalist being persecuted, 
But I think as um, the legal the legal um, representatives of Julian Assange have been arguing, and he is in a he's currently serving time still in remand in in the UK for breaking bail conditions last year, or well, that was why he was sent to prison. But I just think it sets a really bad precedent. I really do. Um, if journalists who expose military secrets, who I, I still don't quite understand how it put anyone at risk, but um, I, no, I don't. I don't. I can understand why people think he should be, but no, I don't like that idea at all. What about you? Um, I, I agree with you, but I think he should serve, serve a prison term in yes. um, not United, but he should. He should. The, the UK government and the US government should do a deal, and. Um, Keep, keep him in England for a couple of years. Corrie, when texting, what is your current most used emoji? Well, Carol, I know you don't use a lot of this sort of stuff because you are sometimes a bit challenged with the telephone. But um, <laughs> this, uh, I, I never think received, so. I never receive an emoji from you. I've started doing a lot of fingers crossed emojis oh, later, oh. <laughs> lately. Or, yeah, or th as you can imagine. You know. yeah, um, it's funny. Until a few months ago, I was actually calling emotions until one of my children said, "Mum, it's emoji. It's not emotion, you idiot." Anyway, um, my favourite emotion at the moment. You know the monkey. So there's three monkey poses: the monkey with the hands on the eyes, the yep. monkey with the hands on the ears. And yep. then my moment tends to be the monkey with the hands on the mouth because there has been a fair bit of foot in mouth. I can't explain why, but maybe I'm just maybe I'm just talking my thoughts rather than actually um, I'm talking my thoughts rather than keeping them inside my head. So that's rather naughty. Um, Excuse me for digressing for a minute, but my dear friend Zoe has just dropped off a coffee at my front. Oh. Oh, nice. Thank you, you so much. Thank you. In the, we're in the middle of report. Don't shoot the messenger. I'll send you a text. Sorry, guys. That's all right. This is like <laughs> Jane. This is like Jane and Fee. Unfortunately, when they're sitting in the cafeteria at BBC, they just keep talking through the whole thing. Um, Cara, my question to you, if you can just take a first sip of your coffee, is oh, coffee, what, coffee. Post Corona, what habit will you never kick? I will I'll tell you two things, Corrie. My Massive walks every day. I will never, ever again take walking for granted now that I can't. Well, hopefully only for a few days. And I'm going to continue my um, 10,000 steps a day and I'm going to continue to call people and have phone conversations with them, which has become a real, um, if I can't see them, have a conversation, have a drink over Zoom. I actually do like Zoom. I do. I've come to like it. And, um, and I will just, and, and the long phone call. What about you? Uh, walking definitely, like you, this uh, period of waiting for the coronavirus test result has been very frustrating and I've realised how much I've loved it. And then the second one will be um, I am really loving my weeknights at home, Caro. So as you know, um, I'm pretty much tied up each week with events at the bookshop. Obviously, we haven't had them. I would prefer to scale that back or review it next year, how we do it. Zoom book clubs have been going really well, um, but I just need to get some life back in the middle of the week because I just find if, I, if I'm busy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, I get to the weekend and I'm exhausted and I work on weekends. So it's just, I just want to conserve my energy. I'm really liking the peace and quiet. So I want to keep that going.
Yeah, Brennan's been saying to me for years we should have designated night at home, and we usually stick to it. But that's a very good point. We're definitely going to do that. But having said that, if anybody would like to invite me to anything midweek, like, you know, pastor on the lap by the fire or something, I'm in. I don't want anybody to think that I'm, <laughs> I'm not accepting invitations. Well, <laughs> I'm sure they'll come flying back, Corrie. Listen, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sorry it doesn't sound like it normally does, but I hope you've enjoyed it. We Look, it's nice to have a bit of a diversion, really. I'll get sick of my own company fairly soon. Thank you, Miss Jane, for all your work yet again. Very happy you tested negative as well. Thank you, Corrie. Thank you to our podcast supporter, Red Energy, and thank you for your feedback and comments. Please keep sending your feedback, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Don't forget to listen to our bonus episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod. We tweet. Just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget our footy tips episode, which is coming up. Gee, there are a few upsets over the last few days. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger.